Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keene, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. Well, we're here. Let's get into it. UFC 251 going down this weekend at Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. The showcase breakout main of first experience at infamous fight island we've waited so long for fight island it's finally here billy how you feeling i'm so so excited for this event and like i a lot of people are kind of knocking like oh it's just in abu dhabi we've been here before blah 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 this is so much fun to me i love the charter flight i love all that all the merchandise I love the whole island feel, octagon on the beach for photo ops. I'm I'm very excited about this card. So let us know how, what should we expect for the presentation? Obviously, they're not fighting on the actual island. They've built a small arena for it. But what, if anything, will be different than a normal presentation? I mean, I imagine they're going to do some kind of dynamic thing where they're going to have uh, – you know, like Fight Island graphics and things like that. I mean, the brand has just kind of taken off organically. I don't know why they wouldn't use it and try and, you know, at least put some palm trees and grass skirts around the octagon or something like that. 100% they should have. When I first saw the picture of the octagon that's on the island, that's where I thought they were fighting. I was like, that would be fucking epic. Epic. But I guess... They're Abu Dhabi time. They're probably getting started, what, like three in the morning or something crazy? Yeah, because it's tailored to the U.S. time zone. So they're going to be, you know, up at three in the morning Abu Dhabi time. All the fighters say that they've just acclimated. They're going to keep on the US, U.S. time zone, basically, because that's how they'll be fighting. So you'd be fighting like in the middle of the night and like Abu Dhabi is, you know, it's as hot as it gets, man. I mean, it is like you know, 110 type of heat, like absolutely insane heat. So is the venue, it's actually going to be in indoors with air conditioning and stuff? Because I remember, I think, when was the last, the Khabib Poirier fight was the last one in Abu Dhabi, and there was some complaint about just like how hot it was in the actual arena. Yeah, I remember there being complaints about the ventilation in that arena. I don't know anything about if this is different, if they fixed the ventilation. I, I'm not not an expert at all on that one, Parker. So I uh, I, I have no idea. But you know, we can only hope that uh, you know it's kind of the ideal scenario for these guys to throw down. Yeah. No. So we're pumped for this card. This is going to be a freaking awesome card. So. Um... Like always, everyone like, subscribe, share, do all that good stuff, and we'll keep it rolling. But Billy, without further ado, let's jump right into the card with everyone's favorite segment, Billy's Hardcore 
couple minutes. This may take you a couple minutes. <laughs> so let's go. Get into it, Billy. All right. So Parker, Parker told me, look, I don't really care about the prelims. If you want to talk about the prelims, you got to go over it. So here we are. So first guy I want to cover is this guy, Alexander Romanov. Parker, I don't know if you've seen a picture of this guy, but he's I'll a... i have to look it up now. He's a big boy. Um, heavyweight, making his debut. Nickname is King Kong. He's uh, out of Moldova, and he's considered the top heavyweight out of that kind of Balkan region of the world. He's 11-0, taking on UFC mainstay Marcin Tybura. And he's only 28, which is like a baby for the heavyweight division. So I'm excited to see if we get some new blood in here, Parker. You find a picture? What do you think? What's the, what's the initial impression? This, this is a very large human. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, home of uh, Moldova. Is that home of Ion Kuntalaba? Ion uh, Kuntalaba, I think, is Romanian, I thought. But you could be right. You, Billy, don't question me on Eon Kuntalaba knowledge. Keep keep it rolling. I'll look it up. Um, next one I got. Mr. Finland, Makwan Amarkani from uh, Espergia. I'm a genius. You had it? You had Moldova. it? Moldova. Moldova. God, I'm great. Geographical scholar Parker Keene, everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makwan Amarkani coming back. A um, little bit of a layoff from him. We saw him last fight in November. Uh, Finnish uh, jiu-jitsu ace out of uh, SBG Ireland. Uh, he's fighting, uh, Danny Henry, who's beat mean Hakeem Dawadu and Daniel Tamor. So two pretty good, uh, two pretty good wins there. And, uh, both guys are 31. So it's, it's a battle where it's, uh, Maquan coming out of Ireland and Danny Henry coming out of, uh, Scotland, kind of the best, best featherweight prospect, at least in, in that area of the world. So very interesting fight. Uh, my hardcore recommendation for casual fans watching this card is my next fight. Uh, Elazu Zaleski Dos Santos or Easy Dos Santos against Muslim Salakov. Crushed it on that one. Uh, it is Apoera versus the King of Kung Fu. So if you like spinning shit, you will love this fight. These guys are classic, like, spinning attacks out the wazoo. They're always doing weird striking stuff in the cage. I think this is going to be a banger. I think this fight's going to get a bonus, no question. Uh, Parker, what do you think of this matchup? It's a little too hardcore for me, Billy. I'll, I'll take your word. In the, in the wise words of Nick Diaz, we're going to see some spinning shit. <laughs> and then my last one that I liked on the prelims, Vulcan Ozdemir against my guy, Yuri Prohaska. Uh, this one's a banger. I do like this one. Ozdemir is obviously a uh, former UFC title challenger, you know, heavy hitter, great boxer. And then Yuri Prohaska is Parker's newfound guy since I turned him on to the Ryzen pay-per-views. Uh, former Ryzen light heavyweight champ out of Japan. He has wins over guys like uh, Satoshi Ishii, uh, Vadim Nemkov, who's supposed to fight for the Bellator light heavyweight title, uh, CB Dalloway, and King Mo. So a good resume there for a guy who's only fought in Japan. And he's only 28 years old. So I think if Jerry can, can beat Ozdemir, he's probably one or two fights away from the title and can be an immediate contender at at uh, 205. Parker, give me some of your thoughts on that matchup. Yeah, you're, you're kind of right in the mix. Ozdemir has been a guy that's pretty much, you know, for the last three or four years hung around, what, three to seven-ish in the rankings. 
So, yeah, I, I think if he can get a win against Ozdemir, that's a good look. And I agree. I think that lands him right around the top five, maybe, at light heavyweight. So, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you've talked a lot about this guy, so I'm excited to see him actually fight. I've never actually seen him fight. And, a guy, you know, against a guy named like Vulcan Ostermere, that's going to be – he's going to bring it for sure. So that's going to be a fun one for sure. That's the main event of the prelim. Yeah. And then we jump right into the main card. That's it. I told you. I was only, you know, a couple minutes, a couple minutes, but we kept it We kept It, it wasn't bad. So let's do it. Let's jump right into this main card. Um, obviously, this is one of the most stacked cards of the year, three title fights. This is pretty much going to be the international fight week card, I would assume, where they usually stack up a huge card in July. Um, kicking off the card is... Number one all-time dime piece in MMA, Paige Van Zant, taking on um, Amanda Hibas. Hibas. Yeah, right. Hibas. There Did you I go. Crush it. Crushed it. Oh, I crushed it. All right, Billy, lead us in on this fight. So you know, it's. I think everyone knows the story of Paige Van Zant, right? I, I think if you follow MMA, you have an opinion on her at this point. And she's taking on Amanda Hibas, who's you know nine and one. Uh, 3-0 and in the UFC, but all her fights are at straw weight, and this is her flyweight debut. So it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, the the question around this, and I think the main storyline around this fight is, is this the last time we see Paige Van Zant in the UFC? She does seem to kind of be at odds, and I think it's mostly over money, and I think it's kind of the situation she feels like she's worth a lot more than she's getting, you know, which... For the UFC, I mean, she really just hasn't fought recently. She's struggled with all kinds of injuries. And, you know, four or five years ago at this time, she was kind of a hot up-and-coming prospect that had the look, had everything. And it just really hasn't panned out, in my opinion. So I think with a loss here, we maybe see Paige Van Zandt go to Bellator. And you, you and I are kind of on the same page here. I think she goes to Bellator or one where, you know, they can market her to a big audience, make her a big superstar, and she, you know, the fighting level is going to be, it's going to drop a little bit, you know, compared to the killers at the UFC at the highest level. So I, I honestly think for Paige Van Zandt, I don't think that's a terrible move, or I think she would probably get paid a lot more in either, you know, Bellator or one. Her husband is a Bellator fighter and kind of a rising star over there. So I think they have a good storyline there. What do you think? You know, I think we have to give Paige Van Zant credit for, you know, there are a lot of good-looking female MMA fighters. It's it's a fact. But at the end of the day, few people have monetized that and put it into an actual career outside of the octagon the way Paige Van Zant has. I mean, her getting the Sports Illustrated swimsuit, her getting Dancing with the Stars. I mean, my mom knows who Paige Van Zant is, and my mom thinks cage fighting is barbaric. Um you know, I, I I think, you know, it's not just her skills in the cage or her looks. It's she's become a legitimately marketable, marketable star outside of the sport and has really built a career for herself outside of the sport. And the UFC, the advantage being in the UFC is you get the most eyeballs on you when you're in the cage. If you're in these other organizations, you're out of cage opportunities, especially with sponsors and the way that they're going to kind of expose you and make you a face of their brand 
that's actually bigger, I would argue, outside of the UFC, unless you're a legitimate champion and a longtime champion. Um, and so I just think like Paige Van Zant really falls in that category. And I, I think because of that too, people forget like Paige Van Zant's still a really good fighter. She's a really dynamic striker. She has really good Muay Thai. She has solid wrestling defense. Um, I, I think this is really an exciting fight. And, and I would not be surprised if, if she walks away from the UFC, even if she wins here. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and I think you imagine just, you know, Paige Van Zandt in Japan, like how big of a star could she be? She's someone that, you know, one could totally build, you know, build around and, and market to their mass, massive audience. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what she does. But she's she said it numerous times. She's like, listen, I make more money outside of the octagon than I do fighting. So I don't have to fight. You know, I could just keep doing what I'm doing. She just fights because she loves to fight. So, yeah, I think she's someone. She's got a lot of opportunities and can do a lot of different things. So, um, But I'm interested to see her fight. It's been a while. You know, she's kind of been out of the spotlight when it comes to fighting. So I'm very interested to see her fighting. Um, how do you think this is going to go down? Um, uh, you know, I, I like Paige Van Zant here. I really do. I think she's got a lot on the line. I think her bargaining power goes down big time if she loses here. And I, I think she's a different level of striker than what Hebus has seen so far. So I, I'm going to take I'm going to take Paige Van Zant here uh, by decision. Um, but I really think I think this is a much closer fight than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I think you're going to have a close a close fight, like you said. Um, I would, I, I tend to agree with you. I'm going to give Paige the advantage in the striking. I think she gets a decision, um, you know, and gets a win. She's back on the win win track, and then after that, I mean, she's got a lot of options. So, um, all right, the return of Paige Van Zant. Next, let's talk about the one I'm really really excited for: the return of Thug Rose Nami Yunus. Um, been out what a year and a half after getting slammed on her head and knocked out in Brazil against Jessica Andrade and losing her belt. And she's taking some time off, but she's back. She's back for the rematch against Jessica Andrade. And um, Billy, what can we expect from Thug Rose in her comeback fight? You know, I, I think we have to give her a, a lot of credit for getting in here at this point. I think she's been through a lot um, over the past year, you know, family members dying of COVID and, um, just kind of mental health struggles across the board, you know, just a lot of stuff going on in our life. And that being said, from a sporting perspective, like I just, I can't expect that she's been in the gym as regularly as she was in 2017 and 2018 when she was on top of her game. So I think at the very least, I mean, even like a Dustin Poirier who has, you know, three times as many fights as Rose has and took a shorter layoff than Rose had. We saw him against Dan Hooker. He looked tentative. I mean, we saw Dom Cruz. He looked a little tentative in the early goings of the Cejudo fight. I think it happens with people who take time off like this, especially going against someone like Andrade who comes straight forward. I think we're going to see a hesitant Rose in the in the first round or first couple of rounds. And, you know, I, I hope that her kind of technical skill and her timing that made her such a great fighter kind of comes back to her in those later rounds. Yeah, I I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it's going to be an issue. Um, I see this being a one-sided match, and I see Rose making a big statement in her return. I think she's just too good everywhere. She's one of the best strikers in the world, especially in 
you know, female MMA. Um, so I'm going to be looking for her to come back, make a, a big, big statement, be more disciplined in those grappling exchanges. Um, that first round in her last fight was one of probably the most dominant first rounds in a title fight that I've ever seen. I mean, she was just piecing Jessica Andrade up and, you know, I expect to see a lot more of that. I, I don't, I think she's going to fight her fight a lot more and not be willing to grapple, you know, stay, stay safe and away from kind of the chaos that is Jessica Andrade. Um, what's going to be very, very interesting for me in this fight is the 25 foot cage. I think if there's any fight on this card, aren't they going back to the 30 foot the, cage? I don't know. I Are think they? they're going back to the big cage, so I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Okay, well, that was my one worry because I'm like, that plays into Jessica Andrade's hands so well because the way she fights, she basically just tries to trap you and just unload bombs on you. So um, that makes me feel a lot better about this fight. But um, again, for Rose, you've said it in the, you know previously, she does struggle with mental issues, and I, I think 90% of her issues in and out of the cage are mental. And if she's right mentally, I think she's got the skills to be one of the best female fighters in the world. So um, I'm looking for big things in, in the return for Rose. Um, for Jessica Andrade, she also hasn't fought in a while. What do you expect her to look like? You know, I think the difference there for me is Rose's success is really based around technique and timing, in my opinion. Um, that's kind of where she wins. Jessica Andrade fights everyone the exact same way. She walks you straight forward. She walks you down. She buries her head. She bites her mouth guard, and she swings for the fences. And I, I don't think that that changes, and I don't really think it matters how much time she takes off. I think the, the question for me around Andrade is she got knocked out faster than we've ever seen her finish against uh, Wiley Zhang. Does does that affect her? Does Is her chin not what it was? Is is she hesitant to to kind of have that move forward style? That's what I'll be looking at. But ultimately, I think she knows how to fight one way, and it's to walk straight forward and just be an absolute tank and crowd her opponent and throw bombs. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jessica's just a wrecking ball. I mean, she's going to come forward. She's going to throw volume. She's got to not let Rose get into a rhythm. If R Rose gets into a rhythm and starts flowing with her striking, I think Jessica Andrade is screwed, and it's going to be a very, very long night. So for Jessica Andrade, she's got to come in there, and she's got to make the fight dirty, and I think that's her only shot at coming out of here with a victory. Um, for you, Billy, is this the number one contender fight at strawweight? You know, I think they're going to book the Joanna uh, Wiley Zhang rematch as they should, basically no matter what happens here. But I will say, uh, I I think the winner of this fight, especially if it's Rose, is going to get another shot at the title. Um, and, and it could be their next fight if they want it. Yeah, and I would not be disappointed if they book yo if Rose wins if they book Joanna versus Rose for the trilogy and then the winner gets Wailing Zhang um you know that's a long time for Zhang to sit out but you know I think Joanna would get motivated for that fight and you put those two in there a hungry Joanna and a disciplined you know mentally right Rose that's about as high level of a striking match as you can get in the UFC and 
Um, you know, Rose has bested her twice, so I think Joanna would be really, really hungry to get that back, especially after the performance she just put on against Zhang and, you know, in a fight that I think you and I both agree that she should have won. So um, if I'm the UFC, I, I'd book that fight if Rose wins. You know, Joanna versus Rose, the winner gets Zhang, and that's two gigantic back-to-back fights that you can book at one one fifteen. So I think that's the direction they should go. So here's my one thing I'll add there, though, Parker. I think the fight that the UFC wants more than anything is they want Rose against Wiley Zhang. That's the fight that they want. I, I think that's a w- absolute win-win for the UFC and for the 115 division. So if if Rose wins, I could I could honestly see them skipping the Yoana rematch to book Zhang against Rose Namajunas. Like, I, I think they really I, I, want yeah, that fight. Yeah, I think. I think you can't go wrong with any of those fights amongst those three. Um, yeah, you can't go wrong. The UFC is going to win on all of those. I just think for Joanna, I think she felt like she was so so close in that championship fight that I don't I don't know if you could talk her into fighting anyone else but those two girls right now. So um, and Rose, I mean, I think the the clock's kind of ticking on Rose. So you maybe have. I've heard her say multiple times she doesn't want to fight into her 30s and she's 28 or 29. So I, I think she's got one or two more in her, maybe. So, yeah, I mean, they need to move with the strawweight division and get it rolling. But um, in your opinion, who needs a win here more? I think it's Jessica Andrade. I, I think if Jessica Andrade does not win this fight, I mean, she kind of goes back to the pile in the UFC strawweight division. Her – her value to the UFC, in my opinion, is really around, is she a contender or not at 115? And if she's not, I, I think, you know, she kind of goes into that, you know, Tisha Torres, Claudia Gadelia group of people that, quite frankly, it, you know, isn't getting the big fights and isn't getting the big paydays in the UFC. I think people will always pay to white, watch Rose. I think Rose is such a compelling character, such an interesting person in this sport that, People will always be interested in watching her. I don't think people feel the same way about Jess Kondrage. Yeah, I think for Rose, I think if she if she takes a loss here, she could be done, and we could never see Rose fight again, which would be a shame. Because in in my opinion, she is one of the best female fighters of all time. She hasn't had that dominant run with the belt, you know, where I think she could have if if she didn't get dropped on her head against Andra. She could still be champion right now. And 115 could look a lot, a lot different. So I think it's Rose, uh, honestly. I mean, for the UFC and her, Rose still has the potential to be a, a huge star. And I think a lot of people are gravitated to her just because of her story and how unique she is in and out of the cage. And I think it's Rose. I, I think she needs a win here, you know, for everyone. So, um, all right, Billy, it's time to make our picks. Who do you got? I'm going to take Andrade by decision. I just can't shake the idea that Rose is not the same fighter that she was when she fought Joanna. And I'd be happy to be wrong because I'm certainly not the Thug Rose fan that you are, Parker. But I do like I do like Rose Namajunas quite a bit. I think she's a much more marketable star. I think she gets more people interested in the UFC. Um so I, I would like to see her win, but ultimately I'm going to take Andrade by decision, especially in a three-round fight. <clears throat> I think you're crazy, Billy. We're going to get a Rose knockout. 
Rose, in every interview I've heard leading up to the fight, she seems to be locked in mentally, which is the most important thing in my book for her. I think we see a second-round knockout by Thug Rose, and I think it's going to be a dominant landslide win, and I think she's going to be right back in the title picture just like we talked about. So, everyone, be on the lookout for Thug Rose. Let's freaking go. I'm excited to get her back in the ring. All right, Billy. Next, we've got our first of three title fights. Piotr Jan taking on Jose Aldo. Um, Jose Aldo. Jan is a guy. Jose Aldo. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I crushed it with P- Piotr and I came up short with uh, Jose. But anyways, um, so Jose Aldo gets a crack at the 135 title coming off a loss. And Piotr Jan is basically a guy that's kind of fl- flown under the radar a little bit. What are your thoughts on this fight? Obviously, both guys are very, very high-level fighters. Um, And after King Henry's vacated the belt, this is what we're left with, and this is for the vacant belt. So what are your thoughts on this? And with the win, um, could this be Jan's coming out party at the 135 weight class? Yeah, I think, I mean, Piotr Jan is a guy who he's floated around the hardcore, uh, you know, the MMA Twitter sphere, if you will, for – a little while since he was back in Russia. I was super excited to see him debut in the UFC. And he is really, I mean, he's really run through everyone that he's faced. I mean, really like gruesome beatings. I mean, what he did to Uriah Faber was absolutely brutal. Um, And so I think he could easily get into that Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje territory of stardom where he kind of becomes like the action fighter champion of like just an extremely violent, exciting fighter. He's now on a big card. He's up against a big name in Jose Aldo. You know, this is the biggest fight of Piotr Jan's life, no question for me. Um, and he and he's a guy who seems kind of like on that on that tipping point of becoming very well known in kind of people who follow MMA space. Yeah, he's got he's got that weird kind of Russian aura about him. Whereas you know his English is not great, but he's definitely funny whenever he talks. And then he's just he's just like a stoic killer, like a midget Fedor. <laughs> he's just yeah, the dudes look very very impressive since he's got in the UFC. So yeah, I mean with another to go from Uriah Faber to knock off another legend and Jose Aldo and get that belt. Um, yeah, it's gonna do huge things for Jan's career and it's going to set him up for a really big fight. So yeah, I I agree with you. I think this is the biggest fight of his career, probably the toughest fight of his career, even with an aging Jose Aldo. So um, let's jump into the fight. Where are you at on Jose Aldo as a 135 pound fighter? I I thought he looked great against Marlon, to be honest. I think Marlon Marais is a very, very talented fighter. I think he's a very hard guy to beat. And I really think the only guys who beat him are elite guys in that division. And I thought Jose Aldo, you know, the second round I go back and forth on, but in that third round, Jose Aldo put it on Marlon Marias for for a large portions of that round. And I, I you know, I, I just think Jose Aldo is maybe the most underrated fighter of our time. I think the McGregor fight kind of, you know, put him on his biggest stage, but he had his worst performance. And realistically, the Jose Aldo that you and I know is an extremely dangerous guy. 
And it really showed at 135, despite how he looked on the scale. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you look at the dude's record from 2006 to 2012. He went on an 18-fight win streak leading up to that Conor McGregor fight. And I, you know, I think a lot of the people, especially the people that came into the sport right around the Conor McGregor era or the Conor McGregor peak of his career, you don't appreciate and realize how good Jose Aldo was in his prime. And he's he's not that old. He's only 33 years old, but he's obviously had a lot of fights. So I think he's still got a lot to give. I, I think he makes a couple game you know game plan changes, and he can hang with any of these guys, even at 33 years old and with all the wars and damage that he's taken over the year. He's still a very, very dangerous fighter. And I'm going to be very interested to see him in a five-round fight at 135 because we don't know what his gas tank is like. You know, Jose Aldo is known for wearing people out over the first three rounds with vicious, vicious leg kicks, just brutalizing him and then pretty much picking him apart and cruising for the last couple rounds. And that was kind of his style when he reigned 145. So it'll be interesting to see him in his first five-round fight at this lower weight class. So let's talk more about Jose Aldo. If if he can't get this done on Saturday, is there any chance that he walks away from the sport? I, I honestly think he could. I, I think there's yeah. actually a really good chance if he loses, he retires. I, he's a guy, I think a lot of American fans fail to realize just how famous he is in Brazil and how much of a celebrity he is in Brazil. Um, he He has, you know, fast food, you know, franchises all over Brazil. He does commercials. He does advertisements. I mean, you know, he's, he's set. He's, he's good outside the octagon for life. And I think he's really in this to try and see if he can win a second belt. And if he can't, I think he walks away, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he's, I don't know. I could see him hanging around for a couple more fights, maybe taking a couple fun older guy fights like, um, you know, Frankie Edgar, who else is there? Um, I don't know. Some people in, in that kind of range at really either weight class, he could kind of bounce back and forth and fight pretty much anyone in the top 10 at either weight class, and it would be a fun fight. And the reality is he's still making a lot of money. I think he made like 400 grand in his last fight. So there's I don't I don't see a reason for him to walk away unless he gets viciously knocked out here. Um I, I really think this is going to be a competitive fight. I think a lot of people are kind of overlooking Jose Aldo, and I think that's a big mistake, you know, especially for this guy, Peter Yan, that, yes, he's very good, but he's got nowhere near the MMA experience as Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo's been in there with the very best of the best in the sport for the last decade. So I don't, I just think don't, don't sleep on Jose Aldo in this fight here. But um, what... <sighs> What does this do for the legacy of Jose Aldo if he's able to get a second belt at a second weight class? I will say I completely agree with you on your assessment of don't sleep on Jose Aldo in this fight. I think he's very motivated. I think he's in some of the best shape of, of his, you know, kind of this latter half of his career, I would say. Um, but for him to get a, a second belt, I mean, I think you and I are, are in pretty much agreement on our kind of MMA Mount Rushmore of GSP, Silva, John Jones, and Fedor. Um, and I think the the next kind of tier of that is really 
Jose Aldo and Mighty Mouse for me. If Jose Aldo is able to get a second belt at this stage in his career, it would be hard for me to not vault him above Anderson Silva and say that he is on that Mount Rushmore. He is one of the best fighters of all time. Um, He's just, he's a guy who has literally done it all. And to get that second belt, so few guys have done it, and nobody's done it with his amount of title defenses at 145 the way he did it. So that that's what's on the line for me. What do you think? No, I totally agree. I mean, I think in Jose Aldo's prime, he was one of the best fighters, if not the best fighter on the planet. In that run I talked about from you know, 2006 to 2012 when he put that huge win streak together and was just dominating the featherweight division. Um, I think the modern-day Jose Aldo is at probably 80 to 90% of what he was in those days. But the reality is I, I think that still on any given night can get it done against anyone in the top five in 135 right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think if Jose Aldo is able to get this belt, He's going to have a little bit of a resurgence, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him defend it, you know, two to three times and then retire. And then if he's able to do that, man, how how could you deny the guy as a top five fighter of all time? I mean, he was the original version of like Mighty Mouse. I think a lot of the McGregor fan people came in with McGregor, who then became hardcore fans. Everybody loves to talk about Mighty Mouse and say how skilled he was, how many times he defended the title, and nobody watched him. Jose Aldo was the original version of that. He was so skilled. He was so good everywhere. He never drew big TV ratings. He never really learned English, um, at least not good enough to do in interviews. But that guy, skill for skill, pound for pound in his prime, was the most talented guy we have ever seen in mixed martial arts. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, Let's talk about um, the path to victory for these guys. You get us started with uh, Jan here. I, I think for Jan, the place where he can clearly beat Aldo, in my opinion, and we saw it in the Faber fight a little bit, um, is in the clinch. I think if, if he can get pressure into the clinch, use elbows, use kind of like his rabbit punching or his like short-range boxing, which he's so good at. We saw that in the Jimmy Rivera fight, too. And then if he could get a clinch trip in one of the rounds and get Jose Aldo on the ground, I mean, Jose Aldo has some of the best takedown defense we've ever seen. But if he can get one of those... And, scr- and scrambles. Jose Aldo is amazing in getting up and finding a way to get off the ground after he gets taken down. Yeah, but if he can find a Sambo, uh, you know, a Sambo trip in there in the clinch and you know, land even just land a few elbows on the ground or something like that, I think that can make a big difference in some of these rounds. So uh, as a fight, I think is really close. I, I think, you know, the more Peter Jan can work in the clinch, the better he could be. Yeah, I agree. I think he has to kind of constantly pressure Aldo and make him make Aldo get into kind of a dogfight. And Peter Jan's great with counters. He's also great at slipping punches and getting body locks and then taking you down. And that wins rounds, especially in a fight like this. Um, what I will say about him for having not a tremendous amount of MMA experience, he seems just very calm. And I don't think anything that can happen in there is going to phase him emotionally. Um, and I heard today as well, Peter Jan in Russia had over 250 boxing matches. Yeah. So I've talked about Jose, Jose Aldo's fighting experience in MMA a lot. But obviously, if you have 250 of any type of fight, I don't care what it is, 
I mean, you're going to be comfortable with just about anything in there. So, um, yeah, this is a very interesting matchup. So let's move to Aldo. What does Aldo need to do to get the job done here? I mean, you and I are both in agreement with every Aldo fight from, you know, today until the end of his career. We just want the leg kicks back. That's all we want. That's all anyone who wants Jose Aldo to win just wants him to get back to leg kicks. And I think if he can get back to the leg kicks and keep Jan a kicking range where he really can't use his boxing, slow the movement down, he can pick him apart in the center of that octagon if if Jan can't move his feet as fast as he's used to because his calves are all beat up. So it's got to be leg kick, leg kick, leg kick for Jose Aldo to win this fight. No, I agree. I, I think early, often, and stay on it the whole fight. That, Like I said earlier, that was in Jose Aldo's prime. That was his go-to. He would just beat the living shit out of your legs until you couldn't walk, and then he would start picking you apart, and he would do his best work there. I mean, see the Uriah Favor fight. That's one of the most vicious, vicious displays of leg kicks I've ever seen in MMA. It's unbelievable. But he's got to get back to that. I, I think in the Marlon Marias fight, if he threw five leg kicks per round, he wins that fight. He j- just was not throwing them just well, for whatever reason. I don't know. If- Jan's a boxer, right? So anyone who's boxed, including the two of us, knows that whole sport is about footwork. That is why Jan is so good in these MMA fights. His footwork is fantastic. If you kick him in the leg as hard as Jose Aldo's used to kicking people in the leg, he can't do it as effectively. You are negating his best skill. That's what Aldo needs to do to win this fight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think it's pretty straightforward. Leg kicks and use your experience. I mean, Aldo's been in countless title fights. He's, he's seen it all, done it all. I think he's got a huge advantage when it comes to MMA experience and I expect him to use it here. So um, my next question was about the 25 foot cage, but obviously that's out. So let's move on to the next one um, for the winner. Do you think the clear next fight is going to be Aljamain Sterling? It has to be right. I, I, I think it's a disgrace to the division and to the sport. If it's not Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, he, he proved it. I mean, he went out there and just, I mean, finished Corey Sanhagen, you know, with such ease. And then that was very, very impressive. Um, so, yeah, I think 100% the next title fight goes to Aljo. Um, where do these guys go with a loss? Um, I love the Piotr Jan against Cody Garbrandt fight. I love that fight. I think it's two of the best boxers in the division. I think there's natural heat because of the Uriah Faber fight. I I think that's absolutely perfect. I mean, obviously, if Jan wins, you have to give Aljo the title shot. But I think Cody Garbrandt against Piotr Jan is is an absolutely perfect fight. Right. Um, What about Aldo? If he doesn't retire, I think Corey Sanhagen is an interesting fight for him and, and gets him right back in the title contention. And... Dom Cruz. I think Jose Aldo against Dom Cruz is a really compelling matchup. He's never fought Dom, right? Never. never. Because he's only fought at 145. That's a good old guy fight, too. I like that. Especially if Dom wants another one against a big name. That could headline, you know, a main event for sure. So, yeah, I'm down with both of those. All right, Billy. Give me your pick on our first title fight. 
I'm going to take Piotr Jan by third round TKO. When we did the deep dive of the divisions and you asked me who I thought the champion of bantamweight was January 1st, 2021, I picked Piotr Jan. I, I think this guy is really just a special, special talent. Um, no disrespect to Jose Aldo, who I think is one of the best fighters of all time. Um, but I, I ta I'm taking Jan, and I really want to see Jan fight Aljamain Sterling. I'm going to pull for Aldo here. I, I think it's a great story if he can get a second belt this late in his career. Um, I just don't think Jan's fought anyone as good as Aldo, even a 33-year-old Aldo. I just think it's going to be a huge step up in competition. If he gets back to his old game plan, I can see him just tearing up Jan's legs and then in the later rounds starting to pick him apart. I, I don't think we're going to see a finish here because both of these guys are so disciplined. And, I mean, Aldo hasn't been finished a lot in his career. So I, I think we're going to get a five-round fight. This is going to be a fun fight, and I'm going to go with the decision for Aldo. All right, there it is. We really disagree on this card. Yeah, I'm going to be wearing you out during this card. Um, <laughs> all right. This one is this one's going to be a great fight. There's this this is one of these fights that just is not going to suck. I can promise you this is not going to suck. The rematch um Volkanovski taking on Max Holloway. Uh, Max Holloway was kind of the heir to Aldo at 145. He went on a nice run and then out of nowhere comes Alex Volkanovski, you know, just started putting really good guys away and he, you know, Aldo, Chad Mendez and he got matched up against Holloway, and that was the first time I had seen Holloway in a fight just lost. Like, he was just lost, didn't know what to do with Alex Volkanovsky. So this one's really interesting. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how Max responds in this and how he comes back to really probably one of the worst losses in his career, you know, especially in the last four or five years. So what are your thoughts on kind of where Max is at right now and and what are you expecting from him? I, I think the weird kind of storyline of all of this is like Max obviously gives that interview to Ariel where he's talking about how he didn't spar this whole camp and he's like talking to his coaches on Zoom. I think that's kind of the interesting dynamic. Now, I, I'm of the opinion that uh, you know Max Holloway is a guy who's fought a ton He's been a professional fighter since he was 16. Um, he's sparred plenty. It's really about conditioning at that point. Um, you know, he's not, you know, he's not adding things to his game during those eight weeks. But I think that's kind of a, an odd dynamic for Max. I think he's been playing a lot of video games, to be honest. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm interested to see where he's at, because like you said, he looked lost against Volkanovski and that's the first time we've ever seen it. And Volk has kind of put quietly together this Mendez Aldo Holloway streak together that is really, really impressive. No, I totally agree. Um, yeah, another weird thing around this fight and Volkanovsky's championship reign as a whole, a lot of people seem to not be giving him kind of the credit he deserves for that performance he put on against Max. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I felt like a lot of the media coverage this week was about Max. I think people don't talk about how 
Volkanovski didn't just beat Max. Volkanovski shut Max out. It was a 50-45 fight. I mean, he shut he shut down a dominant champion after beating Chad Mendez, retiring Chad Mendez after finishing him, by the way, and beating Jose Aldo. I mean, what more does the guy have to do to get respect? At that point, I mean, he's beat the biggest three names in the featherweight division, in my opinion. No, I agree. He's he's just another one of these guys that doesn't talk a lot of shit. You know, he's he's from overseas, so he doesn't get a lot of pop with the American fan base. And honestly, he's just super, super talented and put on an amazing performance in the first fight with a incredible game plan he's a member of the city kickboxing team so he's got eugene berryman in his corner and we've seen what those guys have been able to do the last couple years and he's just another guy that you know i i think people kind of sleep on him but he's very very he's he's incredible no one's dominated and handled max like that ever not even dustin poirier when max was fighting up at you know up 10 pounds so um yeah i'm really looking forward to this well the best of the, the best Volkanovsky story is when he was on stage with Colby Covington. That's when we got to see his personality finally. And Colby Covington sound, said something like, sounds like something a nerd or a virgin would say. And Alex Volkanovsky goes, like, in typical nice guy fashion, hey, there's nothing wrong with being a nerd or a virgin. Like, that's just the guy he is. That's why nobody cares about him. He's not like your typical cage fighter. He's just a nice, good guy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. He's a damn good fighter, though. But anyway, um, for Max, what do you think he needs to do differently from the first fight to get his belt back here against Volkanovski? Max has got to be first in the exchanges, and what I mean by that is like when he when he gets that center of the octagon with Volkanovski, he's got to lead with punches. He's got to lead with strikes. He can't sit there and try and counterpunch Volkanovski because that's how he lost the first fight. He was try he kept, he got so hesitant and so confused by Volkanovski Volkanovski's feints and movements and you know all the different things he was doing in there and he he just he got you know trigger shy he wasn't able he wasn't able to throw throw hands and throw volume like we've seen Max do in the past and so he's really got to lead these exchanges uh, if he wants to have success. No, I, I totally agree. I you know Max is a guy and you can look at the stats on Max he. He does usually take it slow that first round, and then after that, he just picks up the pace, picks up the pace, picks up the pace, and basically takes you to deep waters where you can't swim. He's you know similar to like Tony Ferguson. He's a guy that's just got outstanding cardio and can throw together like 25-piece combos and just walk you down and hit you just so many times that it overwhelms you, you know, especially over a five-round fight. So um, the biggest thing that the biggest, biggest thing that he cannot allow to happen again, he cannot get his legs taken out by Volkanovski. Volkanovski absolutely brutalized his legs and took away, in my opinion, Max Holloway's biggest advantage is his ability to fight both ways, you know, switching from Southpaw to Orthodox constantly, you know, putting his punches together, you know, working his whole game and, Volk was able to basically make him a one-dimensional fighter. And after that, Max Holloway was just kind of a step behind. It was like he was out of his element and not 
was never able to get going in that fight period. So that, that was the biggest thing when I went back and rewatched that first fight, he cannot take the abuse to his legs like he did. And he's got to be more aggressive. He's got to start faster and bring the fight to Volkanovsky. Um, what I could see happening is Volkanovsky's talked a lot about, he wants to go in there and finish the fight. You know, I think he's got a lot of criticism for, you know, basically saying that no one was really that excited with his performance, although he completely shut out Max. Like we said, what's very, very dangerous for Volkanovsky is to get too aggressive in those early rounds and try to finish Max and then gas out and Max just absolutely pick you apart in round three, four, and five. So that's something to really look out for for Volkanovsky. Um, for Max... If he loses here at 145, it'll be two in a row at 145. Um, you think it's time for him to permanently move up to 155? I just think there's bigger fights for him there. I, I think there's bigger names. There's bigger fights. I think he could immediately get um, you know top 10 matchups in his first fight at 155, even off a loss. And uh, I just think you know if he has two losses to Volkanovski... He can basically go up to 155, you know, wait and see if Volkanovski loses the belt and then go back down if he wants to. But I think if he loses, his next fight will be at lightweight. I agree. And I kind of see Max Holloway. He's he's obviously had the great title run at 145, but I could see him turning into one of these guys like a Nate Diaz or George Masvidal that – you know, maybe as he gets later in his career, he'll win one, he'll lose one, and but people aren't going to care. You know, he's still he still has one of the most fan friendly fighting styles in the company, and he's a guy that I think can fight well into his thirties at you know big money important fights that don't necessarily he doesn't necessarily need to have a belt, you know, to be put in those big fights. He's just a fun guy. Every every fight that he's been in is a great fight. You know, go back and watch the Dustin Poirier fight, the Brian Ortega fight, the Jose Aldo fights. Um, yeah, I think he's just one of those guys that you know what you're going to get every time from Max Holloway. And the only time that I've seen him really just not show up was that last fight against Volkanovski. So I'll be very, very interested to see what he looks like in his return. Um, if Volkanovski is able to come out and make a statement and get another win against Max, which I, I don't think Max has ever lost back-to-back fights no no he's never no so um that'd be a first for max but if volkanovsky is able to do that i think that makes a huge statement for the 145 division what do you see him doing next after that uh, if it was up to me i would book uh volkanovsky against korean zombie if as soon as he wins the second he wins i would send that contract over um i i think korean zombies proved that he's the second best featherweight on the planet if not the best I think he's done enough to get to the title. I think it's super marketable, especially in that part of the world, whether you want to do it in Asia or do it in Australia. I think you would basically have, you know, the Australia versus Korea contingent, and I think it would be awesome. Um, But, you know, I think they're going to book Brian Ortega against Korean Zombie, and I'm perfectly fine with Volkanovski fighting the winner of that fight. Okay, you're going to hate this, but I don't think it's a stretch to see your boy King Henry come up to 145 and go after a third belt. I think he feels like he matches up good against either one of the champions right now. 
And if he can talk the UFC into it, I think he's got a shot against either of those two guys. So call me crazy, but I think he fights King Henry next. Lord help us. Lord help us. I'm just saying. I know me and Dana White think think a lot more similarly than you and Dana White think. So we'll see. I don't know. But either way, um, in my opinion, I, I think this is going to be your fight of the night. I think these two are going to go in there and absolutely get after it. I think Max is going to be extremely hungry, especially after losing his belt. And I think Volkanovski is just one of these guys that he's a solid, solid fighter. And I think if he can get past Max, he could hold on to that belt for a long time. So um, everyone look out for that. That's your first, second title fight of the night, right? Okay. And then let's jump. Oh, we got to do our We got to pick. We got to pick. Billy, whoa, what's whoa, your pick? We are, we are, yeah, we are very, very opposite on this card. I'm thinking Volkanovski by decision. Alexander Volkanovski, like, dismantled, in my opinion, Max Holloway. I, I don't see how that changes. I don't see what Max could do differently or do better, like, in this in this situation, in this amount of time. There's nothing that convinces me that somehow Max can win the rematch. Like, I, I just think Volkanovski has is, is got his number, and I think he's going to win this fight. So I have Volkanovski by decision. I think this is going to be a bloodbath, and I think we're going to end up getting a trilogy out of these guys. Um, I'm going Max by decision. I I think we're going to see the Max of old. You know, I think he's going to start faster, and he's going to be able to keep that pace up. And if he can avoid those leg kicks and get his combination and the striking going, I I think Volk obviously has a power advantage, but no one no one throws volume like Max Holloway. So I'm going to go with Max by decision because I really want to see a trilogy fight with these guys. I think Max still has a lot to offer, even though he's been around forever and been in a ton of great fights. I, I think he's got a lot to offer, especially as a champion. So I'm going to go with Max. So we are, I think we are polar opposites on this card. We both took Paige Van Zant, who's like a plus 500 underdog. <laughs> All right. You knew I was going to take PVZ. All right. Let's get into it. This is your main event. George Gamebred, Street Jesus, Mosvedov stepping in on six days notice against reigning champion Kamara Usman. Billy, how excited are you for this fight? I, I, Parker, I cried when I saw that this got announced officially by the UFC. This is, this is it. This is the fight for me. This is the most excited I've been about a fight. I, uh, I guess maybe like the BMF title was pretty fun. That was a fun night, but like certainly this year, this is the most excited I've been. And considering everything that's happened in the world, I, I cannot wait until both of these guys are in the cage. It's Masvidal. I'm telling you, he's a super, superstar. If he, if Masvidal gets a win here, he, I think he becomes the biggest star in the sport period. Even with Connor, if Connor's out there in limbo, I think if George can get a belt, Oh, it's, it's going to be chaos. But anyway, let's get into this. So Billy walk us through the timeline of how we got to this point. So what, what's today, Wednesday. Um, so on 
Sunday, Gilbert Burns, it was revealed, tested positive for COVID-19, was pulled from his welterweight title fight. The UFC immediately rings up Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, who had been sitting out due to contract negotiations. The UFC gives our man Street Jesus the money he's been asking for. He signs the fight. They get the COVID tests. And Jorge Masvidal gets on a private goddamn plane to Abu Dhabi to take on Kamaru Usman for his first title fight in the UFC in 48 professional fights. Parker, if like if you love this sport, that is it. That's the guy. That's That's the whole thing. That's everything we ever wanted to. He was ready. He was training. He got the money he wanted. He did it in a pink bathrobe, stopping over in Rome for pizza on the private jet. I mean, Parker, what is not to like right now about game-bred Masvidal taking on Kamara Usman, a guy who looks unbeatable in that cage? He looks unstoppable. I mean, he beat Colby Covington. He dismantled Tyron Woodley, and he's going to take out the guy who took out Ben Askren in five seconds with a flying knee. Are you kidding me, Parker? Billy, we're going to get a knockout. George Masvidal is knocking out Usman, and this this is going to, at the end of the day, this is going to be one of the best stories in MMA ever, and I think Jorge Masvidal is going to become the biggest star in the ESPN era. I think he's... 1A and 1B with Israel Adesanya right now. But if he's able to do this, pull this off on six days' notice, go in there and viciously knock out this just monster champion that everyone is super high on, George Masvidal is getting paid, paid, straight paid for the rest of Here's his career. Here's the thing. So, he, um, he already is the biggest star of the ESPN era. He is the biggest star. He, yeah. Israel yeah. Adesanya is not on Dan Lebitard's national radio show you know, once a month for multiple hours. He's not the guy who's getting the interview with Kenny Maine and getting the interview with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter. That's not Israel Adesanya. I love Israel Adesanya. I'm a huge Israel Adesanya fan. But Jorge Masvidal, and big credit to the Kawa brothers and their management, Abe Kawa and uh, Malki Kawa are absolute geniuses. And they have marketed this guy in a way that is different than he's ever been marketed in his entire career. A guy who came from Kimbo Slice's backyard, fighting on VHS tapes, fought in Japan, fought in the beach in Costa Rica and Bodog, fought in the Playboy Mansion for Strike Force, And now he's headed to Fight Island for his first title shot. This is the best story in MMA ever. It is unbelievable that this is happening. And if he wins on Saturday night, that is the storybook exclamation point ending that we're all hoping for. I couldn't have said it better. I totally agree. Um, Okay, so with the addition of George Masvidal to UFC UFC 251, which is already, in, in our opinion, probably one of the most stacked cards of the year, what do you think this does for the pay per view buys and just the overall buzz around this fight card this weekend? I would estimate it's an additional 200 to 400 K pay-per-view buys. I'm, I'm interested to see what the media around it is like on Saturday. That's usually when I get a good gauge of, of how a card is going to do, like what's the buzz on that day. Cause most people obviously buy the pay-per-view, you know, right then and there. Um, 
the only time I can think of something like this happening where it's like a replacement fight has a lot more buzz than the original fight. I had kind of two examples. UFC 199, when Bisping replaced Chris Weidman for Luke the Luke Rockhold fight, I think Bisping is was a lot bigger name and a lot better personality than Weidman. And then UFC 196, when Nate Diaz replaced RDA for the Conor McGregor fight. Obviously, Nate Diaz is, you know, a cult figure, and that sparked a whole rivalry. But you're talking about something that happened, what, five years ago, four years ago? So it has not happened in a while. Um, but I, I think that's this how much of a star Jorge Masvidal is, is, is that he's, he's just he's brings that much to the table. Yeah, and it's just natural. It just like kind of like we talked about Sugar Sean the you know a couple weeks ago. It's just like it's natural. Like he can't say anything wrong. This dude is just raw. He's just a a cage fighter. He's just a cage fighter, and that's why you know I think everyone loves him. You know, in the run that he's been on in the last two years, from the three piece in a soda with Leon Edwards to knocking out Darren Till to the vicious knockout of Ben Askren, which is the fastest knockout in UFC history. And then following it up by finishing Nate with the TKO, um, which is, you know, no one's really ever finished Nate like that and beat Nate that bad. So this dude is, he's on a roll. And he's hes one of these guys in my mind that just, I don't, I don't see a way to beat him right now. He's just got that buzz about him where he feels like he's invincible. And this sport is so built on runs and momentum. And I think he's on that wave right now. So, yeah, I'm... I'm super pumped about this fight. Like I probably 10 times as excited as I was for the Gilbert Burns fight. So, um, all right, let's talk about this being on short notice. So obviously both of these guys are taking this on short notice. Um, you got to commend Kamara Usman for having the balls to, in my opinion, take a more dangerous fight, you know, with Jorge Masvidal, who's just been on a vicious murder streak, you know, in in this division since he moved up to welterweight and kind of had his revolution. But um, what do you make of the short notice fight for both of these guys? I, you know, for me, I think I agree with you. I, I give big hats off to Kamara Usman, but if I'm Kamara Usman and the with the style that I use to win these fights, like I just don't think anyone can beat me because. His cardio is so unbelievable for that division. And he can just wrestle and grind these guys and just, he grinds people to dust. I mean, he took Tyron Woodley, who was an All-American D1 wrestler, and grinded him to dust over five rounds. I mean, Tyron Woodley in that fourth and fifth round had no gas left. So I think that's what he Usman's thinking is like, I'm focused on Kamaru Usman. I'm focused on my game. And I can kind of impose my will on whoever steps in there with me. Um, but I think this short notice uh, fight affects him more because I think Masvidal was training for him the whole time. I think Masvidal was in camp basically the whole time. Dustin Poirier said it on Teddy Atlas's podcast that, you know, he Masvidal was his main sparring partner. We just saw what Poirier did to Dan Hooker. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think Masvidal was in camp. I mean, Bo Nickel, who's the best 170 pound wrestler in the world right now. Um, maybe other than Jordan Burroughs, but he's at least number two. He was in camp with Masvidal working wrestling. Like I think it was pretty clear. He was training for Kamara Usman this whole time. 
Usman was training for Gilbert Burns. It's a wildly different fighter. Burns is a ground specialist. He's a guy who Kamaru knows very well because they train together. Um, he knows his tendencies, and he's training for Gilbert Burns, and you know comes out and it's Jorge Masvidal. That's a wildly different proposition than fighting Gilbert Burns. What do you think? I t- I think for Usman, it's very very dangerous. You're basically rolling the dice on a guy in Jorge Masvidal who basically has nothing to lose. Jorge Masvidal, if he goes in there and loses a five-round decision, I don't think he loses a lot of steam. I think he could roll right into that Nate Diaz fight. But if he goes in there and starches Usman, Usman's thrown back into the mix with all those killers at the top You know, top five. You're talking Leon Edwards, Gilbert Burns, uh, Woodley, Wonderboy, uh, Colby Covington. Colby. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, Usman, Usman's got some balls for taking this fight, especially on, on six days notice when I think everyone knows Jorge Masvidal stays in shape all year round. He's always ready to, to fight. You know, it's not like he's a guy that just fucks off when he doesn't have a fight booked. He's training all year round. So I don't know. It's very, very dangerous. It's a very different fight for, Usman. I mean, Gilbert Burns, like you said, is world-class jiu-jitsu fighter when it hits the ground. His striking has gotten a lot better, but George Masvidal is a different animal. He's got vicious KO power. He's got unbelievable striking. He's got great wrestling. He's good everywhere. He's nasty in the clinch. I mean, this is a this is a very, very tough fight for Usman. So, um, for Masvidal, do you have any concerns at all for his weight cut we've talked about a little bit of the elements obviously he took a charter private plane to abu dhabi on what monday and got there tuesday he said he had about 20 pounds to lose and then i don't know how good the facilities are in abu dhabi what they've got set up obviously the weather's an issue it's 110 degrees outside so it's not like he's running on the beach do you have any concerns for masvidal making weight Jorge Masvidal has had 48 professional fights. How many has he missed weight? None. Okay, there's your answer. I'm not worried at all. Not not the least bit worried. Yeah. And he's obviously a guy, too, that came up from 155, so it's not like he's, like Usman may walk around at, what, damn near 200 pounds and cut down to get to 170, I think. I think uh, Masvidal is maybe a little smaller of a guy. I, think, I also think Masvidal is playing mind games with Usman, saying he weighed 192 on July 4th. I think he probably weighed about 182 and was like thinking in his head, how do I add 10 pounds to this? I don't think he's he's disclosing his actual weight six days before a title fight on a national radio show. Um, so I think it's all mind games. I, I, he's going to be absolutely fine. We're going to have this fight on Saturday. All right, let's talk about the strengths for each guy. Um, you start first with uh, Jorge. I, I The thing that I go back to about Jorge is I remember reading a, an ESPN article from a few months back that was analyzing the boxing skills. It was a professional, the Olympic boxing coach, looking at the boxing skills of MMA fighters. And Jorge Masvidal was the guy he was most impressed by. He had the best boxing fundamentals. Um, you know, he keeps his hands up. He fights like a real boxer. But then I also this week went back, and as soon as this fight got booked, I rewatched all of Jorge's uh, decision losses. 
So I watched Wonder Boy and I watched Damian Maya and I watched um what was the other the other really egregious one. Um there was some Bellator one, I think. But anyway, you know, Jorge uses his kicks to control distance really well, which sets up his boxing for later rounds. So it's really an all-around striking game. It's super, super impressive. It's very varied. He lands a lot of stuff. You know, he puts in strikes that work over five-round fights especially well. Um, I, I just think he's a abs- one of the most complete strikers in the entire UFC. Yeah, I'll I'll second that. I think Jorge is one of the most complete fighters, period, on the roster. And he's another guy. You mentioned it earlier. He's got 49 professional fights. He's fought all over the world. He's fought at different weight classes. He's been basically grew up in this sport. He's a a veteran of the sport. Um, for me, yeah, his strengths, his boxing is incredible. For MMA, I, I think maybe him, Dustin Poirier, um, Cody Those Garbrandt. two guys kind of in particular. Yeah, Cody Garbrandt. They, they're just on a next level when it comes to boxing. Um, also, he's very, very durable. I mean, the guy's rarely ever been finished, rarely ever gassed. You know, so I'm not I'm not concerned about him not being in shape to go five rounds with Kamaru Usman. Um, and then he's just game. The dude's game. He, he's got the name Game Bread. I mean, the dude's an animal. He's And he's on that... He's on that flow right now where you see these guys go on runs where they're just, I mentioned it before, but they just feel like they're unstoppable. And he's got that confidence about him that I don't think he thinks anyone can touch him. And I think he thinks he can knock out anyone in that weight class right now. Um, And the last thing I'll add about Jorge is just, you know, he's got incredible wrestling. He's got great takedown defense. And he's just a smart fighter. He knows how to win fights, and he knows when to push, when not to push, how to pace the fight. Um, he sets traps for you. Like Go back and watch the Darren Till fight. The traps he was setting for Darren Till that eventually led to him knocking Darren Till out are very, very impressive, especially with a high-level striker like Darren Till. So, um, yeah, Jorge's got it all. So talk about Usman a little bit. I just think he has the best gas tank in the division and he's an elite wrestler. I don't know that he's the absolute best wrestler in that division or best pure wrestler. Maybe he's the best wrestler for MMA, but when you have the gas tank that he has and in rounds three, four, and five, you can shoot for takedowns the same way that you were in round one. It makes you such a difficult matchup for every anyone because grappling is so taxing on your cardio And so it sets up his striking because by the time his opponents get to rounds three, four, and five, they're so tired, they can't beat him in the striking game, even if they're way better strikers. I think we saw it in the Covington fight. We saw it in the later rounds of the Maya fight. We saw it in the RDA fight. I mean, this guy, and obviously the Tyron fight is the best example of this, but I just think this guy is such a cardio freak in terms of the way that he's able to drag guys into the deep water, and then just grind them into dust with his wrestling. I just think he's he's a very easy guy to overlook because it's not an exciting style necessarily, but it is such a devastating and winning style in the UFC. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I agree with you. The Colby fight really showcased not only his gas tank, because Colby was known to be the guy with just a high motor and – couldn't be broken, you know, would outlast anyone. And 
I almost called him Marty. Camaro, Camaro outlasted him and eventually broke Colby. So that was very, very impressive. Um, I, I agree. I think the best word to describe him is just a grinder. He's just going to make the fight dirty. He's going to fight at his range. He's going to fight you up close. And I think the most important thing about that when it comes to fighting someone like George Masvidal is he's just he stays safe. You know, he doesn't put himself at a range where he can get hurt or give George you know, a lot of opportunities to, to hit him with strikes. He likes to keep it at his range, keep it close, keep it safe, and just grind out wins. And although, you know, it's not as exciting of a style as George Mazadov, it's a winning style. I mean, see GSP's whole career. It's um, very, very similar, the way they fight and the way they, you know, kind of approach it mentally. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the strengths for each guy. Um, this was interesting. So Mike Brown, um, lead quarterman for many, many great fighters, Dustin Poirier, Joanna, um, game bread came up with the Corona. Maybe he was fist fighting Presty at a uh, 4th of July as well. But, um, anyway, how does that affect game bread, you know, taking a fight on short notice against, a champion and really the biggest fight of his life. How does that affect him not having his go-to corner man in his corner? You know, I definitely think it's a loss. I, I think he'd be foolish not to talk about it as something that's, um, you know, going to harm him in terms of his chances to win. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's a guy with 48 professional fights. You know, he, he's seen it all. He's done it all. He's been in big fights. He's been in big moments. He's, he's kind of, he's fought guys like this. I'm sure him and Mike Brown have gone over a lot of tape or Mike has gone over a lot of tape and put it into Jorge's training camp. Um, I, I really think, you know, it's not a deal breaker for me. It's not, it's not like, you know, if one of the city kickboxing guys were to lose Eugene Berryman before a big fight, that is a lot different than Jorge Masvidal losing Mike Brown, even though I think Mike Brown is one of the best coaches in the sport. I agree. And I think if it was, you know, anyone else, um, but not, not Jorge Masvidal, you know, I, I think he's got his longtime boxing coach in there. He's going to have his, maybe his wrestling coach in there. And then one of his managers, one of the Kawa brothers is going to be in Abe, there. Abe so I'm not worried about, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. But, um, I'm not worried about it. I, like, like we said, I mean, the dude's got 49 professional fights. He's been fighting in, in the streets, you know, for the past 20 years, I, I, I think he knows how to fight. He'll be all right. But, um, all right, so in the end, Jorge Masvidal was one of those guys, you know, really the Conor McGregor, John Jones, King Henry, kind of the big stars in the MMA that were protesting, you know, basically their pay structure and what they're getting paid and what they're getting paid compared to what they feel like they earned. In the end... Um, how do you think Jorge played this whole situation? And is he the big winner? Did he get one up on the UFC in the end? He's the UFC's best friend. It reminds, and honestly reminds me of like the Diaz brothers. Um, guy stayed ready. He stayed in shape. He was training. He trained for the opponent that he wanted. You know, he was training clearly for Kamaru Usman and he, he was ready in the exact moment where he had the most leverage and the UFC called him up and was happy to pay him because they need a main event so bad. Yeah. No, I mean, it worked out perfectly. It couldn't have worked out any better for Jorge Masvidal. 
I think he ended up getting a new contract too, which, like I said, if he gets a win here, there's nothing but big fights for him. You're talking Conor McGregor. You're talking Nate Diaz. You're talking big, big fights for Jorge Masvidal. So, um, in the end, I think Gamebred uh, did pretty good. So, that leads me to my next question. If Jorge is able to walk out of there on Saturday morning with a welterweight strap wrapped around his waist, does he become your biggest star in the ESPN era? And where would you rank his title run in recent histories? Um, you know, people like Conor McGregor obviously had a really, really rapid rise to the title. Israel Adesanya. Um, where do you rank it up there with those guys? I think it's more similar to like a Michael Bisping, but I think it's on much more visible because of the ESPN era, like you said. I Like I said earlier, I think he already is the biggest star. I maintain that. Um, but I just think the Bisping you know, comparison where a guy was on the bad side of a lot of decisions. Um, a guy who was always kind of got to, you know, number three or number four, but never quite got over the hump. That's Jorge Masvidal. And now he's finally getting his shot. And you know what? I, I, I just think, you know, this, this fight to me for his legacy, if he wins this, he's a, he's a bona fide UFC hall of famer. If he loses this, I don't see any way he gets in the Hall of Fame. And so I think that's what's on the line for him. It's very high stakes, in my opinion, for Jorge Masvidal. No, I agree. You know, I think if he wins this, he's got the chance to have this the following resume. Knockout of Darren Till. Knockout of Ben Askren. TKO Nate Diaz. Knockout Usman. And then Conor McGregor. If you could get those five wins back-to-back, holy shit. Name a better better run in MMA. That would be unbelievable. So, um, all right, I've got another question about Usman. So, we've seen this in the past. Wrestlers, you know, dominant wrestlers will win, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight wins in a row that are not in exciting fashion. You know, they're that grinding style fight where they break the guy and win decisions. And that was kind of the reputation Usman had until he had that crazy war with Colby where they just decided not to wrestle and they were going to go to war for five rounds and he ended up knocking out Colby. Is there any chance that you see Usman abandon his wrestling and try to have a striking match with George Masvidal? Honestly, I I think Usman takes so much pride in the sport of wrestling that he would never do that. I think I think the the Colby fight what you saw was a game plan where he he thought Look, I have more power than this guy, and I actually think I'm a better striker than this guy, so I have no problem having a stand-up fight with him. I think with someone like Jorge Masvidal, he's going to relish in the fact that he can wrestle. And I I think, you know, you see it in kind of his pre-fight comments talking about being able to ragdoll Jorge Masvidal. I think he's he's very much so interested in wrestling him and, you know, bringing him to the ground and dominating him that way. Okay. Um, all right. So, in your opinion, what's next for each guys, each of these guys with a win and a belt? Um, I think it's very, very, very different. Um, I'm gonna let you start with Kamara. What do you think's next for him? I think I think they rebooked the Gilbert Burns fight. Uh, you know, I I don't think I think Kamara's strategy to become a quote unquote star is um, just take the next man up. You know, I'll beat everybody at welterweight. I'll stack title defenses. You'll have to respect me. 
Um, it won't matter, you know, kind of his persona or his, you know, how he acts outside the cage. Um, he'll beat everybody in that cage. And I think that's his, his plan for the top. So I think Gilbert Burns would be next for him. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. For Kamara, I, I think I totally agree with what you said. I think it's next man up. He just wants to fight the best of the best and start stacking that resume with title defenses, follow kind of the GSP model. Um, for Jorge, I think it's totally different. I think if Jorge gets a win here, you're seeing Conor McGregor or you're seeing Nate Diaz. And that's it. You know, he's not going to fight these guys that he sees as, you know, just new guys. They haven't been in the sport like he has. I, I think also the money thing is huge for him. He's going to go after the biggest fight that he can possibly get, the biggest payday he can possibly get, and that's Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. Um, maybe even able to talk GSP out of retirement if he, you know, puts together one or two wins with that belt. So um, that's that's kind of how I see it for Jorge. What about you? Uh, I actually think I totally agree on the Nate Diaz and Connor thing. I think he's going to go for that money fight. But the one that I think you're discounting is I think for whatever reason the Wonder Boy loss really bothers Jorge Masvidal. He's brought it up in multiple interviews. That was a weird, yeah, that was weird. I heard. That I think he's going to try and get that back. I really do. Um, I don't know how he finagles that because it's like Dana White's going to look at him and be like, "You're not going to get paid for this, and it's not a clear number one contender. Like, what are you doing?" But I think for whatever reason, Jorge Masvidal really wants to fight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson again. Yeah that that was kind of the last fight before he made this shift and kind of had this revolution that like he can't go to decisions with these guys he's got to finish these guys so yeah i, I heard that and it, that's really weird i don't like that at all I, I i would like to see wonder boy back in the mix but i don't care to see that fight it was a bad fight it was not a great fight guy like, i was there this week i was there that was in new york that was on the the t that was Madison Square Garden, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the GSP, when GSP beat Bisping, when Rose beat Joanna, TJ versus Cody the first time. I have a great picture in my phone that I saw this week, and it popped up. It's um, Wonder Boy head-kicking Masvidal. I'll send it to you. you got to put it up on our Twitter. It's freaking awesome from that night that I took. But that, that was an epic night, and that's not the same George Masvidal. That's kind of how I feel about Justin Gaethje. These guys hit... A run and they hit a certain mind state, and it's like these guys are—they're different. They're not that same fighter. They're gonna kill people, and that's how I feel about Mazdal right now. I'm—he's one of the most terrifying fighters on the roster, I think, right now at the moment. Um, all right, what's next? So, for Jorge, if he gets a win here, how do they not make the Conor McGregor fight? I mean, that—that that to me, I think damn near passes the Connor versus Khabib fight, what it could do money-wise. I just I think it's a gigantic fight, especially how big of a star Jorge is going to be if he's able to get that belt. And then Connor back in the mix, and you have those two guys going at it on ESPN, that's going to be – that's a huge money fight. That could do $2 million, I guarantee it, or $2 million buys. Dana would get killed for booking Connor McGregor against Jorge Masvidal. Who cares? No, he would. Why? The 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 people who love the rankings and want the deserving contender to get fights would 
it would break their brains for Dana to book Conor McGregor in a title fight against Jorge Masvidal. It's the same situation as 155. How could you justify him a title shot at 155? I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. I'm just saying that would happen. There would be a lot. They're going to have to do one of them. They might do both of them. That's how crazy this sport is. They might book him versus Masvidal, then him versus the winner of Khabib and Justin. Connor might be – Connor's like the new Sakuraba where they used to just book Sakuraba against anyone that they wanted to build. Like anyone that they wanted to be a star, they just booked Sakuraba against them. Connor's the new version of that. What's a bigger fight if they book it in 2020? Connor versus Jorge or Connor versus Khabib? Connor versus Jorge, no question. Like no doubt in my mind. I, I think so, 100%. It's, yeah, I think that's an, a business just no-brainer. No-brainer. And then you let the, you know, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covingtons of the world, Leon Edwards duke it out and see who rises from that herd. But, man, if Jorge gets that belt, they're making that fight, 100%. And that's such a more winnable fight, I think, for Connor than Connor versus Khabib. I agree. I, do. I just I think that's such such a fan friendly fight. Two strikers, two former one fifty fivers, two superstars, you know, two belt holders. You know, you could put the bad motherfucker belt will be on the line for that. I, you can bet it all. The bad motherfucker and the welterweight title will be on the line for that. So, Billy, it's time to make your pick. What do you got? I'll be honest. My head right now is screaming 50-45 decision Kamaru Usman it's a boring fight he wrestles him that this that and the other thing but you know what I'm gonna pick Parker I'm gonna pick with my heart and I'm picking Jorge gamebred Masvidal by round five TKO and that man round walks, five walks out of Abu Dhabi after wearing Kamaru Usman out and finishing him in the final round, he walks out of Abu Dhabi, a UFC champion. That's my pick. I think he's going to start him early. I think Gamebred's going to come out hot, and I'm looking for a third-round KO. Um, yeah, I think he's going to get it done. Like we said, this is going to be one of the best stories in MMA history, period. If he's able to... Reached the mountaintop after 49 professional fights and then sets himself up for a fight with Conor McGregor. Gigantic. Gigantic, Billy. Everyone is getting paid. Dana White's Uncle Dana's going to be so happy. I'm excited. Fights are what? Three days away now? Let's freaking go, Billy. How about this, Parker? So I just looked at our, our show notes. We have three differences that we picked. I like Jan, you like Aldo. I like Volkanovsky, you like Max. You like Rose, I like Jessica Andrade. Whoever wins the most of those three fights has to buy the other person's pay-per-view this Saturday. (laughs) Okay, done. Done. 100%. I'm feeling very confident. This is going to be my week, Billy. This is going to be my week. So, everyone, get your bets in. All my fights, let's go. Um, UFC 251, coming in hot. 
Fight Island. Let's go, Billy. I'm super, super excited. We went an hour and 30 minutes. We got a little carried away. It's a big card. It's a big card. Yeah, you almost have to, right? You have to. So, um, Billy, any closing words? I'm fired up. I'm super fired up. Do you hear me on this podcast? Do you hear me? Do you see how fired up I am? This is the best card of the year. This is the most animated I've seen you. Yeah, this is it. This is it. All right, so... I think I think I got the corona out of my system on this podcast. Um, <laughs> so yeah, everyone, wish me luck. Hopefully, I don't have corona. Um, tune into the fights; they're going to be epic. Every the whole the main card. This is the best main card we've had all year, hundred um, percent. Like always, everyone, like subscribe, check it out. We got some new content, new look, new style. We're bringing the heat with this hour and a half podcast. So we appreciate everyone for tuning in. Keep keep doing it. Billy, you? Hey, enjoy Close the fights. Shout out, shout out to new producer Joe. And uh, you know, absolutely love talking about these fights with you, Park. All right. And Dana White has now became the MVP of Corona era, taking over Tiger King. Tiger King, Dana White says, hold his fucking beer and enjoy prison. All right. Until next time, we'll see you next week to break down the fights. Um, we're going to have a shitload to talk about. Adios. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.